you will often see these trails where the animal doesn't really take the easiest path. They will <laughs> bulldoze right through palmetto hedges or saplings that you would, you know, there's a trail that just is five yards to the left, but they'll go right through the thick. You know, if you see one bulldozing, you can be pretty much convinced that it's a mortal wound. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and today we'll be talking with Dr. Tim Lewis all about recovering your deer after the shot. Uh, Tim's an avid traditional bow hunter and author of multiple books, including one called Tales of Trails, Finding Game After the Shot. And we dive into the entire recovery process from the moment you release the arrow or pull that trigger until the point where you either recover your deer or have to make that tough decision to end the search. And with deer seasons opening across the country, hey, this is the perfect episode to get you thinking about that recovery process before you ever release that arrow or pull that trigger on your first deer of the season. So be sure to stick around for that conversation. Before we get started, though, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Land Trust. Land Trust is a recreation access network that connects hunters with private landowners to provide access to land all over the country. You can kind of think of it as the Airbnb of the hunting world. Uh, and for every deer hunting trip booked through Land Trust, they'll make a $10 donation back to the National Deer Association. So not only are you going to get uh, an excellent hunt and adventure, you're going to be giving back to conservation in the process. Uh, to explore Land Trust 500,000 plus acres of ranch and farmland and find your next deer hunting adventure, visit LandTrust.com. One more thing before we jump on the phone with Tim, we've announced our next membership prizes that we'll be drawing on Tuesday, October 17th. This time, our basic members will be eligible to win a scent killer package from Wildlife Research Center uh, that includes things like laundry detergent, shampoo, deodorant, some scent killer gold spray, and much more. And our premium members will be eligible for, for that prize package, as well as a $200 gift card from Lacrosse Boots. So if you're already an NDA member, then you don't need to do anything to enter. You're automatically in. But if you're not an NDA member, be sure to head over to our website at DeerAssociation.com and get joined up today. Hey, the basic membership is absolutely free. And for a limited time, you can get our premium membership for just $35. So be sure to take advantage of that. And guys, with that, let's jump on the phone with Dr. Tim Lewis to talk about recovering your deer after the shot. Well, hey, Tim, welcome to the Deer Season 365 podcast. Uh, before we kind of dive into the topic of, of deer recovery and, and blood trailing and all that, um, if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself as far as, you know, what you do and, and how you got into to the outdoors and, and hunting in general. Well, Brian, I guess I grew up enjoying the outdoors and hunting. That that was part of my uh, childhood. And uh, I did uh, end up going to school and getting a degree in, um, you know, biology or was called uh, zoology with a marine emphasis, actually. But so I have that background in uh, college as well. And then I went on from there to dental school. And, and throughout all the years, I hunted and uh, been a bow hunter for the uh, entire time. <laughs> I grew up with a little recurve bow and everything. And as you know, bow hunting has its own um, limitations and uh, one of the aspects is uh, you have to find the animal after you shoot it, and uh, which true with rifle hunting as well or shotgun hunting. But at least sometimes with a rifle or shotgun, the animal dies right within sight. And that's a little unusual with a bow. So I've had to develop that ability to find it. And uh, that kind of steered my path um, towards writing this uh, book, Tales of Trails finding game after the shot. Uh, I actually 
started off thinking I was going to write an article about it because I, I enjoy writing um, outdoor articles. But I just got like uh, 10 pages into it. I go, this is going to be an awful long article. And I haven't even <laughs> needed the matter. <laughs> so it turned into a book. Very cool. Yeah, there there is a, a lot to cover there. And, and we're going to touch on the, the high points today, but uh, obviously we can't you know cover every aspect of recovering your game animal. Um, as you said there, you know, you, you filled an entire book with that information. So there's, there's a lot there, uh, but hopefully, you know, we can, or you can provide some, some information here today that, uh, you know, hunters will be able to use this season to, to help them, you know, improve their odds of, of finding their deer after the shot. Cause that's obviously a, a very important, critical aspect of, of what we do. And uh, yeah, I know that's given me some heartache over the years. You know, nobody likes to to lose a deer, or not recover a deer that they've they've shot. So, right, uh, you know, that's a real heartrending thing. And <laughs> so, any step you can take to give you a better chance is worthwhile. Absolutely. And this, I thought, you know, this would be a very timely topic. Obviously, um, a few states, uh, deer seasons have already opened up in, or a couple there, and and a lot more are getting ready to follow suit. So. Thought this would be a great opportunity to to get you on here and uh, to, and talk about this this important topic. Uh, before we dive into kind of the how tos, though, I'd be curious to hear uh, what do you think are are a few of the most common mistakes that deer hunters make when it comes to you know recovering their their deer after the shot. Well, that's a good question, Brian. There, um, you know. I'm sure you're like me. I mean, it's the, when you shoot at high excitement, every adrenaline's flowing and everything. So it is really easy to uh, not do things as you would if you were clear headed and <laughs> think methodically. And I, I've seen all sorts of things where people even get the idea of where the deer was turned around and stuff. But I guess if you had to say what is the most common, it might be pushing the deer before you've given it time to expire. Uh, that might be the most common one. Yeah, it's 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 certainly one that that I've made, and probably the biggest mistake personally that I've made over the years is is that you know you get you get excited, you've shot this deer, and and like you said, a lot of times, man, it would just the whole shot would be a blur. I'd get so wound up. And, uh, you know, you think you made a great shot, and, but you really don't know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's real easy to want to climb down out of the tree and, and start tracking without, you know, giving that deer the, the time that uh, it might need to, to fully expire. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I know I've, I have made that mistake more than once uh, over, <laughs> over my 30-so years of, of bow hunting, for sure. I think we all have, Brian. <laughs> But yeah, if I could give people advice on that, I'd, I'd say whether you're hunting from a stand or on the ground, right after this shot, I would just stay still for a minute and uh, take time to note precisely where you are standing, which if it's a stand, that's pretty obvious, but make note of that and try to make careful note where the deer was when the arrow or the bullet was released. And then also the exact place uh, where you last saw the deer. And then, if you can, maybe even the last place you heard sounds of the retreat, which might not be something you can see, but it might be a compass bearing you could take. If you take and concentrate on recording those, you know, four places very exactly, uh, I think, you know, first off, that gives you a little time to calm down and uh, think about what's going on. But it also can come in very handy if the trail proves difficult or if you have to get somebody to help you do the tracking. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I wish I knew who to credit this to, but somebody, I can't remember if it was somebody I had on the podcast or just another podcast I was listening to, or, or who knows, it could have been a YouTube video, but, but I, I heard something really, really neat uh, here in the last year or so. Um, of course, we, you know, we have a lot more technology now than, than we ever had in the past, but, but they recommended immediately after the shot, why, you know, you kind of still know what's going on and what just happened to take out your cell phone and point to the spot where that deer was standing when you shot it and take a picture, you know, take a picture of your hand pointing 
toward the spot where the deer was um, when you shot it. And then, you know, you have that when you get down and you go over there and you start looking and thinking, okay, was it here or over there? You can kind of refer back to that photo and, and, you know, remember, okay, I pointed, I was pointing over by that bush right there. And um, I thought that that was pretty cool because uh, like you said, the, the details can get blurry really quick and all the, uh, the excitement and, and adrenaline flow. Yes. And actually I've, I've never thought of that, but that, that is a, a good idea. Most of us these days do carry cell phones with us almost <laughs> where we go. And that, that would be a good way to, uh, get a precise mark. And then, uh, you know, if you were doing it, it wouldn't be bad to take a, a picture of, of the last place you saw it disappear as well. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, anything you have that will help your memory or help you guide somebody to it. If, if it turns out that you're, you know, working as a team later to find it can come in sure come in handy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned compass there too. I mean, that's, that's another thing that is on, uh, or at least I, I know on iPhones, there's one built in. I, I'm not sure about Androids, but just another, you know, piece of technology there that, that you already likely already have that you can, you know, take a take a compass reading of the direction the deer was in as well from from your stand. Very good point too. I, I, you have to remind. I still carry a compass, so <laughs> well, I did not have one in the phone. But well, there's nothing wrong with that because phones batteries can die and phones can fail. So yeah, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with having a uh, uh, an actual compass yeah, uh, in your in your bag as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Okay, we talked a little bit about, you know, what what to take note of right immediately after the shot. How long do you recommend before before even, you know, climbing out of your stand to check your arrow or, or look for blood or anything? What how much time should we give before we even start that process? That's a pretty complicated question too in that there's so so many variables. But you know, given too much time usually can't hurt. I mean, obviously there's occasions, you know, if you see a thunderstorm coming and you know it's going to wash your blood away, you're you're going to need to get down sooner. But usually waiting a little while isn't going to hurt anything and getting down too soon can uh, can hurt your chance, especially if the animal hasn't gone far or if there's other animals with them, you know, uh, you know, you see that with groups of deer and sometimes if you get down too soon you'll spook another deer that'll blow and run off and that might push your animal to move further the 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 further the animal goes from the location the the you know you think of area it's harder and harder to find them you know so you really don't want to do anything to hurry that animal further away from you i think the rule of thumb is give them 30 45 minutes if you feel like you made a good shot. Now, obviously, if you if you're concerned about a a gut shot or a marginal shot, you you might want to give them considerably more than that. But I'd say as far as getting back to your question, when to check the arrow, or or you know, unfortunately, you can't check a bullet, but <laughs> you check the uh, sight for hair or something to to give you a little more information on your shot. But yeah, I think if you waited uh, a good 30 minutes, you can't go wrong and then get down, look at the uh, arrow, smell it, see if there's any sign of guts on it, uh, hair, you know, you're looking for tufts of hair. That's true with a bullet or an arrow, you know, and it gives you a little idea of where the wound was by the color of the hair, the length of the hair, even the amount of hair, especially with a bullet. If you get a whole lot of hair, it's actually a little bit worrisome about your shot because, you know, a bullet makes a very small hole in the hide. And so you should have a small amount of uh, hair, at least on the impact side. Maybe the exit one would have more hair. Uh, but if you have a lot of hair, it could indicate that the bullet furrowed along the skin and uh, did not uh, go directly in. So uh, all those things can be considered when you get down and then you can kind of go from there as to whether you want to keep following up the trail right then or even give it more time yeah as far as you mentioned color hair there what what what's that going to tell you well basically you know the brown or, or gray shorter hairs are 
what you expect to cover the shoulder while longer, whiter hair or uh, sometimes there's some real long gray hair on the bottom of the chest. It could indicate a real low hit. And, uh, you know, a a lot of white hair definitely indicates at least one part of the wound, it may be the exit wound, uh, came out through the bottom of the chest or the inside of the leg. You know, one sometimes you do have white throat patches as well, so it could indicate that it's a, a very anterior part of the throat uh, wound. But that that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, information on your wound. You, you kind of have to put that together with uh, what your eyes saw at the time of the shot and uh, how the deer acted after the shot, uh, and then you can kind of make your best decision as to. Uh, where your wound hit or where your uh whether it's a bullet or arrow where it hit and uh go from there as to what your next step is as far as timing the the recovery let's talk about blood a little bit and uh, of course you you mentioned there obviously uh if you're you're seeing or seeing gut material or smelling you know that gut smell it's it's obviously not a good sign, pretty good invitation, uh, indication that you, you hit the deer, you know, in the guts, the stomach area. Um, but, but what about blood? What, what are we looking for as far as blood and, and what, you know, what's that going to tell us about potentially, you know, where we hit the deer? Right. Well, you know, um, sometimes you don't even find blood right at the impact site where the, where the deer was standing. Sometimes you find a lot, but the, if you're finding real frothy blood, and by frothy blood, I don't mean blood that has bubbles. I mean blood that have tiny bubbles. So it, it looks like, um, you know, just a foaming bit. And even when you get a droplet the size of a pinhead, you'll still see bubbles in it. If, if you see that, you, you know you've got a, a lung wound, and it should give you quite a bit of encouragement. Bright red blood or blood that spurts uh, like a good distance is indicative of uh, a wound that either involved the heart or the great vessels that uh, leave from the heart or enter the heart there and uh, or maybe even the aorta going back you know but it means it's arterial blood and uh, it also would give you uh, the feeling that you know you could probably follow very shortly the gut smell you mentioned or the bits of guts it can be very discouraging but at the same time keep in mind what angle the animal was at the time you shot it because you could go through the heart or the lungs and still end up uh, hitting the uh, paunch as well so uh, if, if you look at a diaphragm on a, a deer it it curves and the paunch really comes up towards the front of the deer, well past the trailing edges of the lungs where the lungs get thinner and extend back, that paunch is up in there. So it's easy to hit the guts and still double lung a deer. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. And then what about, you know, if it's a liver hit, what, what am I going to see? Well, it, again, you may, you know, a liver hit, the chance of you seeing a lot of blood right at the site is probably slim you know you could have you could see it It, when you do start finding the blood you know you would expect it to be less likely to spurt or spray it's going to be thicker and and usually it's it's darker the the trouble with wounds is they they don't just hit one thing the liver and so you know it's also probably it may have hit some lung or it may have hit uh something else so it you know it's not like there's a standard uh look of the blood you go oh there you go it's liver but you can kind of draw your conclusion you know especially if you're getting uh some blood and you're not getting a, a lot of uh gut material uh you know it, it could be a, a liver uh, the liver is a very painful organism, or uh, I'm sorry, painful organ to, uh, it, you know, it's got a lot of innervation. And so it's very typical for the deer to react with a hunch, like like you often see with a lot of the gut wounds, 
So you may get more information by the way the deer acted after the shot than by the blood you're finding. But if if the deer hunches up and it, it seems like it, it is not very happy to to move very fast, you know, walks with its back up and its legs kind of close together. Yeah, you would suspect it's a gut shot or a liver shot or something of that nature. The heart also is very innervated, so it feels pain. And but typically that, you know, gives the deer such an adrenaline rush that they don't uh, respond by showing their pain. They are just trying to vacate that area as, as quickly as they can. They get a big adrenaline rush where they they don't get that stimulation of the vagus nerve from the uh, gut shots so or, or liver shots. So they're more likely to linger and, and retreat slowly and uncomfortably. And that kind of brings up something else. Uh, the lungs do not have any nerves at all. And so a deer that gets a, a lung wound that doesn't involve anything else uh, often does not really react that radically. And, and that can give you a clue as to whether you have a, a double lung shot, you know, or not. Okay. And anything else, I guess, as far as the reaction of the deer, uh, you'll, you'll often hear guys say, well, he, you know, he, he mule kicked, I shot and, you know, he jumped up and, and mule kicked as, as if that's an indicator of a uh, indication of, of a good shot. Any, any truth to that or, or any other actions, I guess you'd pay attention to that might give you an indication of, of the, the shot itself. Yeah, Brian, my experiences, uh, mirror those that you've heard. Uh, I, if, if I see a deer that, does that kick their hind legs out and their front legs out almost like they're not going anywhere for a second, but reacting very drastically. And then they get into high gear. I, I usually assume that the heart has been, or, or the great vessels of the heart have been struck. That's my experiences. And, uh, I have heard that from many other hunters as well. I've actually never seen that happen when it turned out that the heart wasn't involved. Although I have seen it happen where the heart was involved and they did not do that behavior. But right. usually if that mule kick, uh, you can assume you've got a good good shot. And that deer might, is that deer's going to be moving at super speed. So he might go a long ways, but he's not going to go uh, for a long time. It's going to be a short run. I mean, a short a length of the run, but he might cover some serious ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's, Let's talk about wait times based on, you know, what, what we're seeing, I guess, with the, we, with the arrow, what we know of the shot, you know, starting with, I guess, the, the, the best or most basic, uh, it, you know, if, it, if you know you got a good double lung shot on a deer, how, how much time are you going to give him before you, you start trailing? Yeah, I, I, you know, personally, my experiences have uh, made me feel like if I've waited a half an hour on a, a deer that's been double lung, that that's plenty of time. And I, I know a couple of stories of exceptions to that, and uh, I can go into them sometime if you want. Uh, they, but it's where it's a very thin portion of the lungs that were involved. But typically, if you've gone through both portions of the lungs, if you've waited 30 minutes, that, that deer is down. Now, there are bigger animals, you know, and so this advice might not hold true for a Cape Buffalo or something like right, that. You right. know? But for a deer sized animal, I, I'm very comfortable taking up the trail after 30 minutes if I'm very, very much convinced that the uh, it's a double lung shot or double lung and artery shots, you know, because they're, they're, they're not going to make it that far. I think after you look at the arrow or look at the place where it was uh, with a bullet and then maybe follow a little ways of the trail and get a feel for how much blood there is and what the blood looks like, you know, you can kind of make a decision. If it if it's a lot of blood flowing freely and uh, especially if it's spurting, a half hour, 45 minutes is, is, is pretty good for a lot of different wounds. The, the ones that you really want to try to not go too far on are the liver and the uh, gut wounds. And the reason is it, they're painful wounds. And typically, if, if the animal did not see you or know what caused the 
problem, they, they're not going to run too far because they're uncomfortable and they're probably going to lay up and try to get comfortable. And those wounds don't always bleed a lot. So the further they go, the harder your trail becomes. And if, if they've laid down within 75 or 80 yards and you don't disturb them, uh, there's a good chance they're going to expire right where they're laying down. You just give them enough time. So those are the ones that you, if you can somehow uh, get uh, ascertained that that's what's going on, you want to back out and give them time. I, I like to give them 10 or 12 hours. I know some people give them six, but I have come across animals that made it longer than that. So I'm, I feel like I'd rather give them more time and, and have less chance of pushing them. But that that's basically you've got to kind of put together what you're finding at the site and what the first 20 yards of the trail is showing you uh, and what your memory of the shot was. But if there's a chance that it is a, a gut wound, I would advise waiting a good good number of hours. Yeah. Yeah. One of those situations where you're, you're much better off to, to err on the side of caution, for sure. Very. What about. Um, Okay, we talked about yeah the the, the gut shot and, and kind of liver shot. What about I guess what would be some indications of just a meat shot maybe where you, where you hit it you know high in the back or or you know in a leg or something like that. First of all, I guess what would be some indications that that, that was the case, and then you know what, how long would you give a deer like that to to start to start tracking? Yes, th- those actually those are the most perplexing ones because some of them bleed pretty good they, they won't spurt blood but sometimes you find a surprising amount of blood <laughs> and they can uh get your hopes up pretty high but you know basically a high in the back shot is probably not going to result in a dead deer and uh, an arrow or a bullet through a leg is probably not going to result in a dead deer but I'm not sure you're going to pick up on that by the blood trail right away. Uh, I, I should point, I should back up a little bit because we mentioned the good shots. And if you do hit the heart or the great vessels of the heart, you will often see these trails where the animal doesn't really take the easiest path. They will <laughs> bolt those right through palmetto hedges or, you know, saplings that you would you know there's a trail that just is five yards to the left but they'll go right through the thick you know if you see one bulldozing you can be pretty much convinced that it's a mortal wound but if you get these uh flesh wounds you will often see that the uh deer is being much more selective in its route now you can't (laughs) assume because they're being selective that it's not a mortal wound (laughs) but you will notice that. And the other thing that often shows up is the amount of blood decreases with the length of the trail on the flesh wounds because it does start to clot up and stuff. While with a a good chest wound or something, a lot of times the amount of blood actually increases because the animal is slowing down. And so it's giving more time for the blood to reach the ground. But uh, with a flesh wound, a lot of times you'll see the space between blood drops starts getting longer and longer. And that that can be an indication that you just have a flesh wound. Brian, it might be worth pointing out, though, that, you know, even when you start thinking, God, that must just be a flesh wound. I, I'm kind of compulsive. I, as long as I can find one more drop, I keep trailing because I've been fooled enough times that you know, I know not to assume that just because it looks like this is a flesh wound, that it has to be that case. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that here here in a few minutes as far as kind of, you know, when to know, when when to pull the plug. But um, before we do, now you mentioned a couple of times as far as spurting blood, like if you have a, you know, a heart shot or one of the, the main uh, aortas. What's that going to look like actually on on the trail? Is it, you know, just extending out kind of both sides from from where the deer is traveling or what's an indication that it's that it's spurting blood? 
a few things. Some sometimes it will do it on both sides. Uh, sometimes it's, it's on one side. It depends on how open the uh, wound is. With a bow, a lot of times you, the archer will actually see it because when the arrow enters. I've, there's been times where I've actually flinched because it looked like something was shooting back at me, but it's this big red thing splashing out as my arrow went in, you know? And so when you see that, you, you know, but as far as on the trail, what you'll see is the blood is much higher. Like you'll see it uh, three feet on the tree trunks as, as it's, uh, as it's going, as the animal is passing tree trunks or, on palmettos, you'll see it up high. Not that the you, you want to distinguish between well, the animal brushed its coat, then there's blood on the coat, and it brushed against that tree trunk or it brushed against that palmetto. But when you see that it's sprayed against the tree trunk or sprayed against the palmetto, that that be a good sign of spurting blood. And if, what you said, the distance from the trail the animal is running, if it's three or four feet to the side, that's a very good indication of, of, of a spurting wound, which means an arterial hit. Okay. Gotcha. So what, what if we, you know, we've given, we've shot, we, we think we've made a good shot on this deer and, and we get down and we go over there and maybe, uh, you know, we, we can't find our arrow, can't sign, can't find any immediate sign of blood right at the, the point where the deer was standing. That kind of what's, what are our next steps there? Well, you're saying that you've waited, you've got down, you looked around, you can't really see much sign, and you've waited your half hour or 40 minutes or whatever. Is that correct? Right, yes. Yeah, I think I would kind of poke along the trail at that time. I would start looking towards the last place I saw the deer and look for any sign. You know, we call it blood trailing, and it's in grained in hunters it's in the literature that's what we think of but really what we're doing is we're looking for any sign of the animal blood is so nice because it does tell you so much and it's so easy to see when when it's visible but you know we're uh, hoof prints or you know sprayed up dirt or if they run through mud you know sprayed mud the upturned you know if there's ground vegetation like say uh blackberry briars, uh, the upturned white undersides of it. All those things are indications of uh, an animal's passage, you know. Uh, And so I would probably try to progress the trail along towards where I last saw it or where I last heard it. Should caution there, too, because it's real easy to kind of mess the trail up with, with your own passage. You know, if you are looking for like a rock that's displaced or a tuft of grass that's been bent down or like we we're talking about underside of blackberry briars. Well, as we walk through, we're creating all those things too. <laughs> so uh, you want to take caution not to uh, just bulldoze around and, and kind of ruin what subtle signs might be there. But I would try to advance the trail because especially with archery wounds, a lot of times you get very little blood for the first 30 or 40 yards and, and then it might turn out into a wonderful trail that's easy to follow and if you've progressed past the two points where you last heard the deer or saw the deer and you still haven't found anything then you've probably got to put your thinking cap on and and decide just what ways you're going to pursue to uh to recover the deer whether you're going to enlist some help from friends or do you know somebody with a tracking dog or are you going to try to uh, you know do circles around. There's a few ways you can employ to find down game when you don't have a trail. And I can run through them, but do you want to put more onto uh, what I would do right then if I didn't find blood? Yeah. I mean, we, we can, we can work right into that. Just what, yeah. If you, if you're not just absolutely not finding blood, what are, what are kind of our options from that point? Yeah. The, the, Two most common ways, like like I said, it's so wonderful if you can just find uh, telltale signs so you know where the deer ran. And in a lot of environments, you can, you know, you can take a, a real like a pasture of grassy, uh, knee high grass or something. And if a deer runs through it, 
a day later, you can look and see where they ran through it if you get behind it and you watch the way the, the light glints off the grass stems, you know. Now, there are environments where it's very hard to, to tell, but, you know, the, the first effort would be to actually track the animal uh, by any little sign that you can. Uh, and sometimes that involves, like, taking different paths uh, for a certain length. Like you come to a place and you go, well, the animal had to either go this way or there's a blackberry thicket. It had to go that way or this way. And then you go 20 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, whatever it takes to find a place where you can have conclusive proof that something did pass or something did not pass. Like if you get in a sandy region and there's no tracks or there's a spider web right across it and you know that nothing passed there. But if you go and then there's some upturned leaves or, or kicked dirt or a stick that's been broken, you know, then at that point you might feel like, uh, oh, something did pass and you'd continue along. But if you did get to the point where you're just totally stymied, there's just no indication. The two most common ways of going from there, first is you start very small circles around the last sign or the last place you saw the deer, and you just walk a circular pattern of maybe uh, maybe three feet in diameter. It's just looking carefully, carefully for any sign. And then if that doesn't show up, you do a circle around that circle. Again, you know, it, it depends on how the train restricts your vis vision, but, you know, you might do that one at seven feet in diameter. And, uh, but you always go the full circle because lots of time animals do reverse their course. Uh, and it, it's so easy to think they're running one direction and I can't don't have to look behind me, but the circle is nice because it does make you examine everything, even the possible of a loop or the possibility of a loop or a reversal or something. And, and you continue these circles getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, until you eventually find a sign of the pathway the animal uh, ran, or you find blood or you find the animal. Uh, it, it's quite a, it, you know, depending on how big the circles get, it can be quite quite a time-consuming uh, attempt, but it, it is a, a way of doing it. Uh, another way of doing it is to lay out grid, a, a grid pattern, and uh, typically people lay them out with north-south and east-west uh, passages, and again, it depends on how good the vision is, how far you can see. You you're, might be going back and forth on, uh, you know, paths that are parallel, but maybe five feet apart, or they might be 15 feet apart, depending on how, how well you can see. But you just set a limit on how far you think the animal could have made it, and you walk the grid back and forth, back and forth. And this is really helpful if you can get a number of people doing it, because you might be covering, you know, 800 acres, 1,000 acres, and uh, if you can get a number of people lined up and going towards, uh, you know, the other end of wherever you expect animal to pass, and, and you're, again, looking for blood, looking for sign of passage, or you're looking for the dead animal. Yeah, yeah. And if you are, if you are having to do that by yourself, one one thing that, uh, again, go, going back to technology, but it helped me uh, recover, recover a deer, I guess a couple two two or three seasons ago and that was uh, i had a mapping app uh, on x that you know you can turn on the tracking on it where it'll show where you've walked and uh, i did the the grid search like you're talking about there but I, I left that that tracking part of the app on so i could see where i'd been and and that way you know you can you can you might walk back and forth for for an hour or two and then look back and and see a spot that maybe you missed maybe you got a little wide on or you went around or, you know, you just didn't follow a perfect line. And that's a, that's a great way to, to be able to see what, what you've covered and, and what you haven't covered. So just the, that, that is a wonderful, Brian, that is, that is really something I, you can tell I'm a, a not much of a tech <laughs> in those terms. I'm always thinking of taking my compass out and making a line, but you're exactly right. The terrain often steers you. I, I've done it with the compass and found out 
that because of how thick something is or the angle of something or water, I, I get steered repeatedly away from one certain area yeah. and yet go up like crazy on that app you're talking about. So yeah, that that's a great idea. A great point. Yeah. And I'll use it the same way, uh, shed hunting in the spring, you know, I'll, I'll oh, do, wow. do grids through an area and then look back and say, okay, well, I missed a couple spots here and there, but, but yeah, mm-hmm. just some, something else to keep in mind. But, yeah, yeah, oh, that tech isn't bad, is it? <laughs> no, no, not always. <laughs> I, I do, I do want to 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 back up just a step here because I I got a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, there was one thing I, I wanted to ask about as far when we were going back to kind of wait times because mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, a, a dilemma we often run into, particularly here in the South, and I know you're you're in the South here as well, is is that balance between you know, not pushing the deer, but also not letting the deer spoil uh, due to warm, warm temperatures. So I'm curious to hear how you kind of balance that. If say I, I've made a subpar shot, I've, I've got some gut material or it looks like maybe I, I got liver, um, but the, those temperatures are, are up there, you know, it's, it's in the eighties or, or whatever the case may be. And it's not going to get that cool you know, how, how do you, how do you balance that between giving the deer plenty of time and, you know, waiting until, even if you do find it, it's, it's going to be spoiled. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a hard question. And that is a hard uh, balance to, to achieve. I believe it or not, I, I have never had a deer spoil on me. I'm in Florida and it is warm temperatures, but I think our deer are smaller and they don't get the winter uh, coat that your northern deer, because I've heard of so many people having deer spoil up north. <laughs> so it's like the opposite of what you would think, you know. But our deer are thin and small, and I have left them overnight, you know, many times and found them the next day and never had one go bad. Gut wounds are, are different because what, what happens is the the way a gut wound kills an animal is bacteria from the gut cavity gets introduced into the bloodstream and it's getting pumped all through the bloodstream, including to the muscles. So when there is a gut wound, the bacteria that cause meat spoilage have already been introduced to the meat. Usually your meat is protected by skin and everything over it. And so the bacteria don't have access to it to, to start, you know, breaking down and spoiling the meat. But with a gut wound, you are pumping or the animal is pumping bacteria right into the muscle. So they have a head start on spoiling. So your point is very, uh, important uh, i still feel like it, the last thing you want to do is push that deer but i also feel like i would smell the meat pretty carefully if it was a gut wound and i did wait the 12 hours i, I would smell it and see what it smelled like and i'd be less likely to age that deer for you know we usually hang our deer and age them for a couple of weeks before we uh butcher them and on a gut wound that had been out for 10 or 12 hours, I'd be very reluctant to age it more than a few days. Yeah. I might not at all. So I don't know if that's a clear answer because I'm kind of, it would depend on what, you know, the wound looked like. And if I thought I got a lung as well or hurt the, the diaphragm as well. But I still feel like if it was just a gut wound and didn't get any lung or diaphragm, I'd be very reluctant to take that trail before 10 hours just for fear of pushing that deer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, we're for one. Yeah. I don't think there's there's no perfect answer to that anyway. So, yeah, I I just uh, (laughs) kind of threw it out there. I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. But but yeah, it's 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 a tough call uh, regardless. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I think one thing you do have to keep in mind or I have to kind of remind myself is, is, you know, just because you've waited 10 hours to go f- recover that deer, it doesn't mean that deer's been laying there dead, you know, starting to spoil for 10 hours. He, he might have might have taken him eight hours to finally expire. And, and you know, you might be finding him just a, a 
you know, a couple hours after, after he actually, you know, dies and, and, and not that he's been laying there dead for 10 hours. So. Exactly. You, you, that's exactly the case. And that's the whole reason you're waiting because you, there's a good chance he didn't expire. Right, right. right yeah. yeah. So if you are, if you're blood trailing a deer, you know, you, you've given it what you thought was adequate time, you're blood trailing the deer, but you end up bumping it. Either maybe you, you see it jump up and take off or, or maybe you, you know, find an area where you could tell it had, had recently been bedded. What, what's kind of your strategy from there? Uh, do, do you, continue to track do you back out how long do you back out for what what's what what would you uh what would you do in that instance trying to uh a, a few variables there you know if if you're uh in firearm season and you are carrying a firearm with you you might very well want to continue tracking uh with the thought that you'll get a, a shot in that can put the animal down because you know you don't want it suffering longer than it has to you know again it depends if you're trailing through stuff where you can't see 10 yards the chance of you getting within shooting distance of it isn't very good because it's going to hear you coming you know but normally if, if if i'm bow hunting and i push something up i i back out and i give it more time and again how much time depends on what i think of the wound but Typically, I would back out and give it more time. I guess at what point do you recommend, you know, bringing in, you know, like a a deer tracking dog? Is I'm, there? Oh, I'm ahead. a dog, and I'm fond of dogs now. <laughs> they they are wonderful as far as finding a, a a deer. They are wonderful. I mean, it's it's great relying on your own skills, and I like to try to develop woodsmanship skills. And uh, I did do that. I don't know, 30 or 40 years uh, without help. But now the last, I'd say, 20 or 19 or 20 years, I've had dogs. And uh, it's just amazing what advantage that is in finding game. So, you know, obviously, if, if a trail is easy and it's, it's kind of fun to learn by following it, it's worth doing it. But if it got really hard and you had access to a dog, I, I, I don't see any reason why not to do it. It really is going to increase your chance of uh, finding the, uh, the animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm all for, you know, any, any, any thing you can do to increase your odds of recovering an animal. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Now I do believe what you said there that, that everybody should, every, every deer hunter should learn to, you know, blood trail, learn that process of, of trail tracking or trailing a deer and, and recovering it. But, but yeah, why would you not, you know, take advantage of, of a way if you're having problems, you can't find, can't find the deer. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to bring a dog in providing it's legal, which, you know, it isn't, it, it, it is in most States now. I'm not sure what the numbers at, but, uh, but yeah, most, yeah. Most cases you can do that. And yeah, I think that's a, a wise thing to do. Right. I think there are uh, varying regulations in the States as far as whether the dog can be off the leash or not. Uh, um, a lot of States, the dog must be leashed while you're trailing. Uh, but yeah, you'd have to check with your own state. But yeah, if it's legal and you have access to a dog, it's just amazing what they can do. And uh I mean, even after thunderstorms where the water is pulled up and flowing, even on level ground, you go, how could I ever find it? And these dogs just sorted out. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I've even heard stories of, of dogs finding deer, you know, days after the deer was shot. So it's not something... You know, that, that necessarily, if you don't get it out there right after that, you know, that's, you're not going to, you're not going to find the deer or the dog's not going to be able to find the deer. So. Yeah. The, the dogs, incredible variety of dogs too. Uh, almost all of them have great noses, but some of them are better than others. And uh, I think some of the bloodhounds can, you know, when you talk about trailing days later, you know, they call that a cold trail, but I think some of the bloodhounds can trail 
something five or six days after, <laughs> you know, depending on what, what's going on in the interval. But right, uh, right. my, my, I've got, uh, I've had a few labs and, uh, I have a, a lab now and a, a working cocker and they can easily trail a deer a day later. If somebody calls me and says they had trouble, they can find a deer and we get on it, you know, 20 hours after the person shot it, they can follow that trail without any problem. Well, we often, we often hear generalizations about wounded deer, um, especially like gut shot deer. You know, you'll, you'll often hear, well, they'll, they'll head to water, you know, look, search, search the water. Um, have, have you found that to be true? And any other, I guess, common behaviors that, you, that you've noticed of wounded deer? Brian, as far as water in Florida, we it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, I have not noticed that they head to water. I, I did uh, have a friend shoot a bear, got shoot a bear, and I looked for that bear for a good while for him. And I did, it was in Colorado, and it was very dry and very little water. And I did end up, on the second day, deciding it probably would have gone to water. And I started checking the few places that had water. And sure enough, that that bear was still alive and it was laying in water. So there, there must be some truth to the that wounded, uh, gut wounded animals head to water. It, it, there must be some fact to it. But in, in Florida, I've never been able to see that distinction. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever found a gut wounded uh, deer in water. Um, so, you know, I found very close to it, but never where they was, had submerged themselves. Yeah, as far as anything that you could say is a generalization, there's more exceptions than, than not. So I wouldn't say that. But the things that I've noticed is the one I already told you, if you see a, a trail that just bulldozes through the worst stuff when there's an easier route nearby, that's almost always uh, a very lethally or mortally struck deer. The other things I find that most deer run in a, a curving pattern. It, it, it may be an entire loop. They might do a whole loop and fall right back near your stand, but it might be just like two-fifths of a loop. But if You'll notice a huge number of them have a definite curve to one side in their in their flight pattern. And again, it's not a absolute. You, you don't want to think that, oh, that's going to happen. But you'll see it quite often. And a, another thing you'll see quite often is a, a very small loop right at the end of the trail. A lot of times, you know, when they only got another 15 yards to go and that they can push themselves, they'll loop around. Sometimes that loop is so narrow, it actually just is a backtrack on their own trail. But that happens uh, fairly frequently. In fact, if you look at uh, a number of trails, you, you'd be surprised how often. You might not even notice it because some of the loops are so small, but you'll, you'll see that quite often. There's probably a few more. You know, I've, I've again, hunting in Florida, I don't know a whole lot about uphill and downhill but i do it <laughs> as a young person being exposed to the idea that wounded game always ran downhill but i have hunted in colorado quite a bit and most of that some of it was that with was with mule deer but most of it was elk but i uh i definitely could not find any correlation between whether they ran uphill or downhill with <laughs> with the wound they, <laughs> they right. just ran man you know so i don't know that that uh, has any any truth to it yeah that's interesting though about the yeah i'm thinking back when you're talking about them bulldozing through brush and stuff i'm uh, you know instantly thinking back to different deer i've tracked and yeah I've, i have now that you've said that i never thought about it but yeah i have i have seen that that behavior where it's you know instead of taking the 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 open path that they would normally travel you know, just running right through the thick of stuff. So. Yeah. So I guess yeah, when, I'll go ahead. Getting, I, I just can say when that happens, I usually get a very, uh, you know, sure feeling that I'm going to find that animal. Yeah. Well, I guess 
you know, we, we come to the, the hard point of the, the track here, and that's at what point do you just have to call it and say, you know, either, either this deer is going to live or, or I'm not going to be able to recover this deer. I mean, how, how do you finally, uh, aside from hitting a property line, I guess, that you don't have permission to cross, how, how do you make that call? Well, as I told you, I'm I'm kind of compulsive with my uh, blood trailing, and as long as I can find any sign, I just keep pushing. You know, you know, it might be a little pinpoint of blood, or in some cases, it's a speck of dirt that's been pushed up on a leaf, uh, you know, or something. But if if I go hours and hours and I can't extend the trail an, another yard, you know, uh, and that's an including all these techniques I mentioned as far as like trying different possible routes that they may have taken and ruling them out or doing the circular pattern or the grid pattern and, and I can't do it. I, I will eventually say, no, man, I, I, I've lost this deer. Uh, now that's not true with dogs. I'm, I'm talking about before dog days. For me. Right. Right. But uh, it, it takes a lot to discourage me and it, it, it also depends a little bit about the wound and how uh, how sure but you know if i was from the get-go thinking god hit low that just went through that leg it didn't even get the chest well i'd probably you know if i followed to the last blood and put another hour in i might feel like no that's right i i didn't get that you know but if i feel like it's a good wound i might even come back the next day and say where did i go wrong and 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 put a little more time into it and it is amazing how often i have found things that i kind of had mentally given up on but just out of compulsion stuck on the trail and ended up oh my gosh i did find it you know the trouble is with dogs because a dog can follow that animal forever (laughs) even if it's not wounded you know you you nick it in the leg and it quits bleeding a dog can keep on that trail and so uh you do have to sometime just analyze what the blood's looking like how long it's been since you're finding blood and how the animals behaved if you jumped it up how did it run because um it it is a you do have to pull the dog off because you don't want to just keep pushing some poor animal that isn't even has a serious wound, you know, Uh, I have more problem now trying to decide when, when I should follow up with a dog or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to kind of, to kind of wrap things up, I guess, let's just kind of, I guess, circle the wagons here and, and wrap things up with just a few key takeaways here or, or best practices for recovering their deer. Maybe this is, maybe they're going into their first deer season here. Can you just kind of, I guess, summarize some of what we've talked about and just, just a few tips to help them, help them avoid some of the the more common mistakes. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan, Brian. What, what, what I would go back to the first thing we talked about is uh, when, um, when the shot happens is when our, Excitement's the highest and the easiest time to get confused about things. So uh, I, I would take a moment to compose myself and, and really pay particular attention to exactly where I was, exactly where the deer was when I targeted it. And then the last place I saw its retreat and then the last place I heard its retreat. And I would uh, try to memorize those or, as you pointed out, uh, get it on camera. <laughs> so. Uh, Then after that, I would try to give it some time. And uh, for a good shot, I think 30 minutes is plenty. Uh, If there's any question about the shot, it might be a little longer. Then I would evaluate the sign at the site of the shot and make a plan from there as to how to trail it. And if the trail is not blatant and not real easy to follow, depending on my skill level, if I've got a lot of experience, I might want to pursue it on my own. But if it's a difficult trail, it's not a lot of blood and I don't have the confidence, uh, I would at that point maybe try to enlist some help. The the one thing I want to caution people about on the enlisting help is that 
the more people you get out there, the more sign they're leaving and their sign can definitely hide the deer sign. Or also it could, you know, one person could have walked through some place like a a briar patch and turned up leaves and then somebody else comes along and thinks, oh, this has got to be where the deer went, you know, so it can make it more complicated. So, you you know, you want to be on the same page that we're going to go slow and methodically and not disturb the sign ahead of us. But you might want to enlist some help or like you said, there's no reason not to enlist the dog if, if there's a dog available. So I think I think that's it. You you will find uh, that experience grows with practice. I, I have a couple suggestions for people that are wanting to increase their ability of, of tracking and that is tracking animals that aren't wounded. <laughs> you know, in the summertime when you're scouting and you come across some deer track, you know, or hog track, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to just try to follow that unwounded animal as far as you can, which might only be across the sandy creek bed, but might be you could piece together the trail over a couple hundred yards by looking at the way the brush has been moved or disturbed or grass is bent. And then lastly, I would like to suggest that people developing their tracking skills employ a tracking stick, which we didn't talk about, but it's just something, it can be a broom handle, it can be a piece of PVC, it can be just uh, some sort of stick you break off out in the woods. But if you mark on it, the stride length of the animal, as long as the animal keeps going that same speed, the stride length is going to stay the same. So if you've marked where uh, the hoofs landed and then the next hoofs landed if you then move that stick to the uh, further hoof mark the the next hoof should be on an arc somewhere where your other mark is and by doing that you really limit the area that you have to be looking for the um, tracks you know instead of looking everywhere you're looking on a very defined arc And that makes it much easier. It also makes you very aware when the directions change. And it makes you aware when the speed changes, whether the animal sped up or slowed down, which usually if the animal is slowing down, you can expect that it's getting closer to either expiring or maybe it's about to bed or maybe turn, change directions. So that that would help a a beginning uh, tracker or really it helps even us experienced trackers. I think it's a good good way to uh, Im- improve your tracking skills. Yeah, yeah, I've been been deer hunting for <laughs> over thirty years, and I don't guess I've ever heard of a tracking stick. But that's that's interesting. I will definitely uh, in- employ that in my future tracks, though. It is very helpful. It's, it's very helpful. It's a you know, it's another thing to carry or something. But like I said, a lot of times if the stride isn't exceptionally long you can find a sapling or something and make it on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah well tim thanks thanks so much for taking time out to to come on to the show here um, for those who would like to learn more about you or, or maybe pick up one of your books uh, what what's the best way for them to do that well the books are easily available on amazon i think three rivers archery carries some of them also but if if they looked up Tim L. Lewis and then the Tales of Trails, and if they get the Tales of Trails, get the second edition <laughs> because it's, it's been revised and it's 50 pages longer and many more pictures is much better. So, but if they look that up, it, they can order that. It, uh, the other, and then if, if they hit the little follow the author button. It shows all the other books. Uh, and there's several on hunting that I feel like are enjoyable and informative. And if they wanted to reach out to me and I could send them a copy, my um, email is Tim Lewis, it, it just T-I-M-L-E-W-I-S, all lowercase. And then the at sign with A with a circle around it. And then C-F-L dot R-R dot com so um, cfl.rr.com and i would respond okay and we'll we'll put links to to that the the books and your email in our show notes 
So yeah, anybody listening can can find that if they want to reach out to you. And yeah, I just again I appreciate you appreciate your time and uh, enjoyed the conversation. I did too. I, I learned a lot from you. That <laughs> <laughs> phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the good thing about these. You get to get to share ideas back and forth, and yeah, we get to get to learn from each other. So that's that's a good deal. Excellent. Well, thank you, Brian. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Dr. Tim Lewis. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.